Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. On this show, every week we discuss a movie, and then one of the podcasters suggests the next movie for us to discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services, so you can participate with us. My name is Dale Maxfield. I'm your host. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Alicia Walker. Hey. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today's episode is on the British 1960s film, A Taste of Honey. It was my suggestion. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Aaron, how about you? What have you been watching lately? Uh, Lately, uh, we just finished Lovecraft Country, uh, which I thought was a pretty good show. Uh, Final episode, eh, it didn't quite stick the landing. Uh, We'll (laughs) we'll see where it goes from there. Um, Outside of that, um, I'm trying to watch a Halloween-themed movie uh, every day this month. And so we watched uh, Halloween, the original, the other day, and uh, Friday the 13th, part five. And, uh, you know, those pretty standard slasher fare. So, what's the subtitle on number five? I can't remember. A New Beginning. Okay. Remind me of the quick, quick uh, plot synopsis of that. I've seen them all. I did a marathon. Uh, so Jason dies at the end of part four, four yeah. which is final chapter. And then five, um, it makes it, it, it's the idea is that uh, Tommy Jarvis, uh, who was played by Corey Feldman in part four, um, has gone crazy and started killing people. Okay. And that's, that's uh, kind of the storyline and, mm. As you go on, you find out a little bit more about the situation, and that may or may not be true. Yeah, um, it was not received well. So with part <laughs> with part six, they go to Jason Lives, and they bring back Jason Voorhees. Yeah, so I did a marathon, of course, on Friday the Thirteenth back in college, and got all of them uh, from when you could actually like rent videos at video stores. Yeah. Uh, Those were the days. Date- yeah, to date myself. And uh, and we watched all of them through all the way up to, I think, what is it? Jason 10, Jason in Space or whatever? Jason X. Um, or Jason, Jason X. X. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we wa- we like bootlegged that one because it like had just come out. <laughs> so we had to watch it is on a computer. Jason X actually the 10th movie? Or did they just call it Jason yes. X? It really it is. is the 10th it's, movie? It I think it's, it's both. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. 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 So, so, so yeah. any of those damn things. Jason Takes Manhattan is my favorite. Oh, that is like the dumbest. (laughs) I fucking love that one. So Jason Takes Manhattan is number eight. And that was that was the final one that Paramount did. After that, they sold this to New Line Cinema. And New Line Cinema did Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. And uh, that was number nine. Jason Takes Manhattan, unlike the Muppets Take Manhattan. (laughs) <laughs> takes place mostly not in Manhattan. <laughs> it takes him like 70 minutes of that movie to get to Manhattan. It's all on a boat. It's all just him on a boat. <laughs> him and T-Pain on a boat. I feel like Jason Takes Manhattan is like my Predator 2. 
you know, like how Predator, and then there's Predator Two, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think I think Jason X, is, or I'm sorry, Jason takes Manhattan as everybody's Predator Two, <laughs> because Predator Two sucked. Uh, Zach, how about you? Um, I've been watching some things. I uh, on the movie side of things, not too many. Um, just one on HBO Max called An American Pickle. Starring uh, one Seth Rogen. Uh, actually, I should two say two Seth, Seth Rogen. Um, it was fine. It wasn't anything I would brag about. Um, I felt like he was doing his best Borat impersonation. <laughs> um, I'm more excited for the second Borat than I am for American Pickle. Yeah. Um, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, I think it was at a, a Time Warner original or whatever they're called now. Ta- Max Warner Time. HBO Max. Blow Max, I don't know, but um, and then uh, from the TV show side of things, um, Fear the Walking Dead came back. I'm sticking to it, guys. I'm doing all the Walking Deads now. Um, I know how much Dale loves me and talking about Walking Dead. Um, Did they did they do the finale? Did that air? They did, okay. and it was not not that good. I no can't way. believe I they made us wait six months. Stop I it. watch it too, still, but I I haven't been keeping track of when they're dropping. The Walking that Dead did something bad. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It just wasn't like they made us wait six months because they couldn't finish the graphics to like premiere it in March, and so they were like, "We have to wait." And then like it just didn't. I mean, like, not, okay, I'm going to spoil it because have you no, caught up, Alicia? Don't spoil no. it. Alicia I hasn't seen it. The finale, but it sounds like no. it's a lot of waiting for not that great of an episode. So, well, not the finale, but like the main part of se- of this newest season happens in the middle of the season. Like it's like episode seven. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's when they're fighting with. But Alpha. that's kind of their yeah. thing and, too, right? Because they do the mid season finale. Yeah, and they well, make can, you wait didn't like Breaking three months. Bad start that on AMC. No, uh, I thought Breaking Bad was the or was it Mad Men? One of those two started. I think that it was Mad Men finale. that started it, but I, I think it's an FX thing. Like they make more money if they do it that way. That they they shoot it all at once and then they spread it over more time, so that mm-hmm. they have more content out there. Because like with Breaking I Bad, mean, they used to do that on network shows that had ran like 30 episodes a season, they'd do like a fall sort of finale and then they'd come back in the spring. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure the last season of breaking bad was all shot before the first episode arrived. Mm-hmm. And so half of it came out and then there was just a arbitrary amount of waiting and then they showed the rest of it. And it ended up having its finale directly competing against the Serious finale of Dexter. So, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Walking Dead fans, it is what it is. Okay. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about that I've been watching on Netflix is the, um, it's like, it's kind of like the Great British, British Bake Off, but it's the American Barbecue Cooking Challenge. Uh, very fun, very good. I love a good barbecue show. Uh, so much so that after the fact, I had to go and make my own pulled pork and uh, baby back ribs. 
because I've been watching so much barbecue that I needed barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's a fun show, though. It's got good characters in terms of like a competitive show. It's eight episodes, so it's not really too long. Um, it's kind of those one one of those ones you can throw on, um, kind of have it on in the background if you need to. Um, but like the characters in the show are good. Like the comp- the people who are competing are fun. Um, and then one of the guys who's the judge is, uh, is uh, one of the guys who owns a, a barbecue joint in Los Angeles that I really loved called Blood Sows. And he's really well known and it, he's it got some great barbecue. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm not always into competitive cooking shows, especially like I don't really care for like the great British baking show. But if it's barbecue, I'm in. Well, where did you watch that? Netflix. Okay. Cool. Alicia, how about you? Uh, Well, I have been enjoying the new Great British Baking Show uh, Uh, season. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) They've had about four episodes now. Now, They're on Netflix now instead of dropping. I mean, I I think they're still on a BBC network. I think they traded BBC networks, if I remember right, um, some years ago, and they had kind of a host uh, evacuation. I think they went from BBC to ITV, Channel 4. So they used to be over here on PBS, and now they're on Netflix. So they're they're dropping actually one a week on that. So I just did a little marathon of the four episodes they've had so far this weekend, and I'm loving every sweet moment of it. Uh, so I'm enjoying that. Uh, we've watched a few movies too, and some other things. Um, I think probably the the things I enjoyed the most since we last uh, met up were um, the thing. Which John Carpenter's think, The Thing. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever seen it. And so I already kind of knew what happened. I kind of knew the plot and everything, but I had never sat through the whole thing. And that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that immensely. So that was great and kind of, um, you know, hit some stuff on Nathan's horror movie list as well, which was great. Yeah, that's and, one of uh, the uh, the greatest remakes ever. Yeah, and I always think about, um, I'm a huge X-Files fan. I'm an X-File file. And I uh, really like there's an episode of the X-Files that kind of is playing with the story of the thing where they're up in the Arctic and there's something getting on people yeah. and they don't know who has it and who doesn't. So I can't remember the name of that particular episode. But um, but yeah, I mean, I love and, and, you know, it made me think about a lot of other X-Files shows that I love, especially this month. So I may have to go on and start rewatching some of those. I was kind of talking over some favorite ones with some friends and and we were enjoying that. Um, other than that, uh, you know, a few things we've, we finally start watching the last season of Shit's Creek since that dropped on Netflix and that's been great. And we're almost done with that. We just have maybe three episodes left, something like that. Um, and then also, uh, we watched a really great movie the other day called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which is a Betty Davis movie. It's also got Olivia de Havilland. It's got Joseph Cotton. It's by the same director who directed, um, uh, whatever happened to baby Jane uh, with Betty Davis as well. But, but he, I kind of thought the order was reversed. So I thought uh, whatever happened to baby Jane came first uh, and this came second or, or something like that, I think, but it was actually really good. I wouldn't really call it horror, but it was kind of a good suspenseful thriller. And, you know, everybody who pops up on the screen, you're like, oh, there's that guy. Oh, look, it's that guy. So it's just, you know, cavalcade of people, you know, either stock players or or big stars. And, and it was good. I really enjoyed it. I think we both did. So that was a lot of fun. It's counting on horror on my list. So there's there's a nice hand 
getting chopped off. And That's a, true. There's a decapitation. Bruce Dern, no so, less. Yeah. A very young Bruce Dern <laughs> being decapitated with a butcher knife. That's a lot of fun. What you, Nathan? Yeah, so, I mean, I have done the horror thing as well as I can this uh, month. Uh, we talked a little bit on the last episode. Um, I've got about two weeks worth here. Uh, I'll try to keep it sort of brief. Um, I I did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. One of these days I want to get through that franchise. Yes. Uh, but um, <laughs> since I, I want to point out, uh, since you are fresh off of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, you should look up the documentary Scream Queen. Right. We were talking about that a few weeks ago, I remember, on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Scream, comma, it, queen. Um, I know it's on Shudder. I don't know if they have it anywhere else. Uh, it was available for buy on a couple things like Vudu and Amazon for like five or six dollars. But you should get you know, on Shutter anyway. When I was trying to find three, because I you can't stream three or four. I can't find them. I'm gonna have to buy them. I guess um, maybe not this month. But when I was looking for those, Scream Queen kept popping up. So are you sure it's not on Shutter? I thought all the Nightmare movies were on Shutter. Well, we, well, I don't have Shutter. It though. might be time to do that one week preview subscription because, the, yeah. especially this month with all the Maybe. stuff going, especially on. this week because Joe Bob's going to be on Friday with a special. Here we go. <laughs> Unless they just got added to Shutter, they're not on Shutter. They were on HBO Max last month. Oh yeah, but I think they left at the beginning of this month. Hmm. So that. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is the closest I've come to any of the slasher series franchises on this list. Um, but I, that is one that I've always kind of enjoyed the parts that I've, I've known. My favorite that I've seen is the, I think it's called Freddy's New Nightmare or something like that, where Wes it's Craven's based New in Nightmare. so-called reality um, or Wes Craven's oh. New Nightmare. Yeah, That yeah, one's yeah. really that one's, good. It's actually one yeah. of my favorites. And it's outside of the canon of the like the original six films. Well, it, it, it's supposed to be real. <laughs> it's supposed to be real because Wes Craven like plays himself in the movie and he realizes yeah. that him making the movie is bringing Freddy into the real world. Huh. Yeah, and it's all the actors and actresses from, I think, the first film come back and yep. portray themselves, essentially. Yeah. And, of course, Freddy comes back and portrays himself. So Is Johnny Depp there? <laughs> is Johnny Depp in this one? Uh, He's not in that. No. So. It's mainly the, the gal. It? Uh, yeah. Heather Langenkamp. Nancy. Yeah. Johnny Depp makes a cameo in one of them, like on Does the he? TV or something he's, like that. Because uh, um, he's in the first one. He yeah, dies in the first one. Yeah, yeah, Brad Pitt gets killed in Freddy's Nightmares, which was a TV show. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. That's my favorite like horror franchise is the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. franchise. Um, so Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is probably the one that is pretty universally beloved like it's it, it it's the it's the introduction of over the top freddy mm. and so he he really becomes kind of a pop culture icon in that movie because he was very subdued and kind of uh, <laughs> in the corner a wallflower before that it goes more yeah. horror comedy starting in episode three in the yeah. third one i see 
Yeah. Like the one they do with the well all the kids with like the Dream Masters powers yeah. and stuff. It's like it's like watching a video game. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. I mean like part yeah. of it is a video Number game. Three That's what is I kind of figured. Titled The Dream Warriors. Um yeah. and it's a bunch of kids fighting against Freddy and some of them lose. So <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, I've watched a few things. Um not a lot. Uh I watched a Movie that was highly recommended to me, despite the fact that it ha- is basically a ghost story. Um, it's called Lake Mungo, and it's sort of a weird um, found footagey type uh, movie where the the whole um, the like hauntings or whatever or the like presence that you pick up is only captured by cameras. So still photography picks it up, video cameras pick it up. And the movie's hook, the thing that it keeps doing over and over again, is it will show you a scene. And then it will show you that same scene and say, and when we analyzed it further, we saw this. And then the camera will just pan and zoom in on one side of like what you were watching before. And you see, like, the reflection of the ghost's face in a mirror. So it's stuff like that over and over and over again, um, where it's just like, you know, we didn't think anything was happening, but then we looked at this, and then we looked at that. There's a twist uh, about halfway through that I really liked, but overall is just sort of a... It, it feels like, you know, somebody's first movie, and they did, like, a a really good job with their first movie, but there's just not quite enough there for me to say, go out and watch this one. You know, it's not, it's not going to be like a classic movie and it's certainly not like, you know, the next Blair Witch Project or anything like that. It's more like, uh, uh, what's the, what's the movie with Bagul? I think you're thinking of Sinister. Sinister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Oh, Okay. Yeah, sinister. The monster in that's called Bagul. It's just sort of a hilarious monster name, but uh, sinister had more production value than Lake Mungo. Um, and then I watched uh, Trust, which I had asked asked about on here before, and I think a few of you had seen it and said it was okay or whatever. I thought it was great, actually. I thought it was really good. Um, I wasn't aware that, um, Danny Boyle directed the whole thing. So like, it's really solid and the performances are solid. Um, everything, everything looks great. I think it, it gets a little long winded in like the back half somewhere. Um, you sort of the momentum kind of dies down. You're like, okay, like when are they going to resolve any of this? And then they do this wonderful thing where the last episode is all aftermath. It's all of like, cause this is an actual, it's based on an actual historical event. So they show you like what happens to all those characters after, uh, the events of the movie took place with, uh, Brendan Fraser walking you through it all again. Brendan Fraser just sort of talks to the camera in the second and last episode, just like telling you what's going on. 
So, yeah, I think that when it premiered on FX, it was being overshadowed by uh, another couple of FX films or, uh, or sorry, series. Um, yeah. I just I knew that like when I watched it, my wife and I were watching it week to week, and we really enjoyed it, and nobody else was really watching it or talking about it, and I just don't know why. It, it, I think it, it either didn't it, came out around this. What? Go ahead, Aaron. Uh, didn't it come out like a year after the uh, All the Money in the World movie, or shortly thereafter? Yeah, it it definitely did come out after that. Um, I think on FX also they were doing the Versace um, oh, series. Yeah, the American at Crime the same story. time. Yeah, and everybody was all about the Versace series, and Trust was. Because uh, I remember it was like Versace was on and then Trust was on and everybody was watching Versace and then like I got was watching Trust. I didn't like Versace at all. I mean, I thought it was like I watched a couple episodes and I was like, this isn't for me. Um, yeah. And I like Ryan Murphy stuff most of the time. But Versace, I think, had yeah. more going on in it. Like every episode had a lot of forward action, a lot of stuff going moving forward, whereas Trust is like it's this one story about this kidnapping that. Yeah, that goes completely insane because uh j paul getty is a complete madman and he just doesn't he doesn't care he won't spend his money on anything except a museum and mistresses and that's like about (laughs) it but uh, i would check it out if you haven't seen it already um i found it uh i found it to be very very good so, uh, and then I've, I, uh, picked up, uh, the first three episodes of the comedy store documentary on Showtime. Um, there's two more left that haven't aired yet, but I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. Um, it's cool to have someone like Mike Binder, who's got a foot in both worlds, the world of making movies and the world of stand-up comedy. And so people talk to him and seem to be a lot more open with him about how stuff's going on. And, uh, it's also being made after the longtime owner and, and manager of the place has died. And so people are a little bit more open and honest about what it was really like while she was there. So that's been fun and interesting to watch. Um, and the next, the fourth episode is called Joe Rogan Returns, which I think is probably the part of it that I'm most excited about because I remember that drama when it happened and it was pretty much insane. So we'll have to see. I may I may come back here and talk about how they blew it or they didn't show any of the fun stuff with that, but we'll have to see. But uh, I suggested a movie. It was called A Taste of Honey. We watched it. Um, I hadn't seen it before. Um, I'd heard a lot of references and things to it in the past and thought it was time I watched it and thought this was a good excuse to do that. Had any of you seen it before? I don't think any of us have. Okay. So, uh, Aaron, let's start with you. What did you think of A Taste of Honey? Man, you know, like, I really thought it was going to be a different movie than it was. <laughs> um, s- starts out with some kids, uh, you know, playing playing uh, netball, and then like 
pregnant single mother with an alcoholic or <laughs> with an alcoholic mother. I'm like, what the hell is happening in this movie? Um, it's it's super depressing for quite some time in the movie, and then there's like a, a little a little lull. Uh, where you know she she meets uh, a gay friend and uh, it, it seems like her life's leveling off and then her her mother comes back into it and you're just like son of a bitch like <laughs> I wanted this woman to get her so bad um and, and so the the ending just left me all angry. Um, okay but it wasn't a bad movie by any stretch i thought the um i thought it was very interesting that there was an interracial couple in a what 61 uh yeah it's it came out in the uk in 61 the play was on the west end in 1960 yeah uh so that was that was incredibly interesting to to see that like an on-screen kiss and I'm like, "Oh my god, that bet that set the world on fire." The US didn't get it until 62, I think. Cuz it was it was part of the 63 Golden Globes and and nominations and stuff like that. But uh yeah, you you talked about how it did it wasn't the movie you were expecting it to be. I love how rapidly it establishes the characters and gets the action moving before the 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 opening credits even start before the title even appears it's like she's in school she doesn't go out to parties cuz she doesn't have clothes to wear her mom's a deadbeat and they ditch out on the landlord and they're driving to who knows where and she looks up at this building and then the title appears and that's like I- the first 6 minutes of the movie I, I guess I should say like when I when I saw the title and then um, I read uh, this a short synopsis I was like oh, okay it'll probably be kind of uplifting <laughs> and then it wasn't did you watch it on HBO by any chance I did okay I did you didn't read the HBO synopsis then. No, the HBO no, synopsis I, is awful because it tells you exactly what happens in the movie. Yep, in like yeah, one I looked sentence. over when I was watching it. Yeah, I was like, like "Wait a second, I could just look <laughs> over here and oh, that's the movie." Well, now, well, now I have to look up what that synopsis says because I, I it's re- two sentences. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a, a young woman becomes pregnant by a black man uh, and is taken care of by a gay friend until her mother comes yeah. back. That's it. Yeah, uh, plot the, of movie. The, oh my god. The the synopsis, the synopsis I read was on Just Watch, and it was uh, a down on our luck teen uh, becomes pregnant and uh, is helped by her gay friend, and that was it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know that. It seems like it's going to have kind of like at okay, least it doesn't well, have like the ending stuff, in and then good. That's still more information yeah. than they should probably put in there. Yeah, yeah. Like the pregnancy should be a surprise. Um, <laughs> the the friend being gay should probably be a surprise, but but no, they just they just put it all out there. Nathan, how about you? 
so this was kind of an interesting movie to watch really in close uh, sequence to having watched or rewatched, I guess, Hard, Hard Day's Night, uh, yeah. the Beatles movie. Um, so this takes place and is filmed a couple years before Hard Day's Night, mm-hmm. but um, you know, my I I love the movie and the story and everything, but honestly, my favorite character in it it might be Manchester because <laughs> um, it, it, it's just a really cool city to look at and um, to kind of think about. Um, but because that that's kind of how life was there is very industrial. There's not a lot of pretty things to look at. Um, and that's what the movie depicts pretty well. I think that's what uh, drew Morrissey to it, because uh, yeah. a lot of what I'd I mean, heard, he's a Manchester guy. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of and this he felt like this really depicted what life was like there, where other movies and plays and stuff didn't. But a lot of uh, what I've heard about this movie before has been in relation to Morrissey, because he's he uses a lot of lines from this movie in uh, Smith's lyrics. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the story's really good. Um, so supposedly, this predates. I, I'm trying to remember what year the um, William Shatner Nichelle Nichols kiss was on Star Trek, but it was probably a little bit after this. Yeah, yeah, it was probably like sixty four, sixty five. I think. Yeah, so this this predates that by quite a bit, uh, which is kind of interesting. I, you know, I think the one thing that I kind of had a takeaway from was thanks to some trivia stuff that I saw on IMDb. Um, there was a trivia. I, I like to read the trivia on movies from there. Um, it's, a, it's a good dip into what made the movie the movie. Um, and in this particular instance, it talks about a, a pamphlet that they gave out at the screenings on the original screening of this movie where... Uh, it was basically talking about how you can correct how to correct homosexuality. Gay. Yeah, yeah, how to correct homosexuality, and it kind of sheds some interesting light on what the movie was maybe attempting to do and what environment it was att- attempting to do it in. Um, so I, we can probably get into that more detail, but I, I did think um, that kind of makes the movie a little bit more interesting to think about that because I'm pretty sure the director was pretty sympathetic to the the homosexual guy in it um but i don't think the audiences were so well the the um the playwright who also wrote co-wrote the screenplay uh uh sheila delaney yeah i think makes him a a sympathetic character um and the fact that he's gay in the movie at all is a pretty good sign that right they cared about it but i think as part of the distribution deal or, you know, the theater chains or somebody like that was who got involved in, you know, or the church of England or somebody got involved and said, if you're going to watch this, you need to read this pamphlet about how to cure your, your gayness. Yeah. Well, and I think it sheds some interesting light on the way the end is portrayed too. Like the, the way he's just kind of shunned out of the family and he feels like he has to slink away. Um, I think that puts some context on it just as far as how society really did treat people back then um, of his sort. So there's a Stanley Kubrick movie called killer's kiss um, that it's an American or yeah. uh, Which uh, predates this obviously. And uh, it has an interracial kiss in it as well. So this wasn't an unprecedented thing, um, but it was, 
probably uh, more of a, a controversy in the U.S. than it was in the U.K. Yeah, which is probably why it didn't do great in the U.S. either, because um, it, you know, it it won BAFTA awards and everything over there, uh, and then I think it came over here and didn't do much. It won a Golden Globe. That's about it. Yeah. It won the Golden Globe for uh, uh, most promising newcomer female for Rita Tushingham. Um, but uh, awards wise, it did great. Other outside of the of the well, the other one in the U.S. was uh, outstanding directorial achievement in motion pictures from the Directors Guild of America. So that's a pretty prestigious award. And then at Cannes. Um, Murray Melvin, who plays Jeff, the gay friend, won Best Actor. And Risha Tushingham, who played Joe, won Best Actress. Uh, and the director was nominated for the Palm d'Or, but didn't win it. So, <laughs> Alicia, what did you think of it? I really liked it. I, um, I, I not only loved, you know, how they used the city of Manchester, which I thought was great, but I think um, one of the greatest things about it is that it's it's showing life as it was. It's not making any apologies. It's showing these people that are, you know, they're trying to get by. They're doing whatever they need to, to get what they can get um, and trying to squeeze out some happiness for themselves in the process. So I like, um, you know, the the storyline for this. Like like you mentioned, Dale, I think it, it rolls very easily. There's a lot that happens, um, but it, it's not too much. Um, I, I really thought it was interesting as I'm seeing these things that, you know, uh, you know, seeing the interracial relationship and seeing, you know, the, the gay best friends first appearance, maybe in a movie. Um, I think it did a great job of here are these things that would have been seen as, you know, maybe even scandalous in a movie at the time, but, uh, there's not a lot of eyebrows raised in the movie. There's a few, but for the main characters that might be just maybe a small side comment and then things just continue. It's not a huge um, focus of the plot that these things are happening. Uh, it's just part of everyday life and and getting by and, and trying to get that taste of honey and, and all that kind of stuff in life. So um, I like just how it's showing how everyone in trying to get by is is um interacting with each other meeting each other how life takes them on these journeys they probably would have never thought would have happened um you know and i think about where the people were living you know like that early apartment like the place that she gets at the end uh when she's pregnant and kind of you know thinking this is fine like here's a place that has a, a little bit of sparse furniture that's broken and all you know covered in dust and animals living there this is perfect. This is the place for me. You know, those kinds of things, the realities of life, you know, and, and I really liked, um, I, I just uh, like the depiction of it all the way through. So I think it did a really good job. I don't know kind of where it falls on the timeline of, of showing more of the realities of working class people, whether it's in, you know, Britain or anywhere else in the world, kind of uh, doing a little bit of a snapshot, kind of yeah. a doll's house of movies so kind of a thing. The, here, uh, but it was great. This was part of what what's called the British New Wave which was sort right. of a new directorial thing. Um, but the the stage play was also part of a new thing at the time, which was called the kitchen sink drama. And kind of the big uh, change that that was, that was having or, or, or the big new thing about all of that was that they were writing and performing stories about common people, about the working mm -hmm. class. 
people didn't do that before then. All the plays had kings and queens and counts. And, you know, you could certainly take this exact plot of this movie and and throw it into uh, a period like uh, Lady Macbeth or something like that and have this whole story be, you know, about nobles dealing with this issue. Um, you know, everything from the alcoholic mother to the, you know, getting pregnant by the guy that isn't there and, you know, is black and all of that kind of stuff. Like all of those things could have been done that way, but um, people really, really enjoyed this new sort of more realistic and more uh, uh, working class focused style of storytelling. And I'm assuming the new wave is a, a derivative of the French new wave. Yeah. Yeah. Which they talked about uh, a little bit on some of the stuff I was listening about hard days night too. Um, Cause it's very much new wave esque. Yeah. A hard days night I would say is a, is a pretty good companion piece to this film. Um, yeah. And a lot of what a hard day's night, like beyond the fact that it's the Beatles and all the songs are great and the comedy and the writing is fantastic and all that other stuff. Like that's a movie that's taught in film schools because of how awesome the cinematography in it is. It's, it's the movie that, started shooting like guitar players hands instead of just always framing the whole band or, or just one person. It was like, you'd have close-ups of just like hands plucking strings and stuff like that. And it's really, it's really an astounding work for what was essentially like, you know, up, up, a pop band at, I mean, at that time, you know, it was 1964 that that came out. Like the Beatles were, brand new in the U S and they hadn't really grown into their sort of art period time. So it was like, it's like a boy band in this really well done art house Marx brothers movie. Um, yeah. Well, and so much of a hard day's night is the, the core of the plot, even though there's not much actual like plot plot, the core of the movie is kind of about the younger generation thumbing their nose at the older generation um, and those that are trying to control. And that's, you know, what the Beatles were all about, of course. And of course, A Taste of Honey is a really good shot of that, too, because that you've got the mom who's kind of stuck in her old ways and how she finds a husband and how she feels like that has to roll because she's an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then here's this daughter who's obviously branching out and has new ideas and how she kind of gets stuck with it. But it also is like a history of repeating because there's a yeah, scene where, that too. where she yeah. tells, uh, uh, Joe asks her mother about what her father was like. And she reveals that, that she became pregnant during her first sexual encounter. Um, and that the guy was kind of a weirdo and she won't really describe what a weirdo is beyond. She has the same, or he had the same eyes as, as Joe. Um, which constitutes being a weirdo. And then sure enough, Joe also becomes pregnant for, you know, in her first sexual experience. So it's very much a, as much as you want to break out of that cycle, you're kind of stuck in that cycle. And that's the whole, I think that's the whole taste of honey thing was like, you know, this was like the apex best moment of her life. And now she's trapped. Now she's stuck right where her mother's been stuck. So Zach, how about you? 
talking shit while you guys can't hear me. Um, <laughs> no, I, it, I'll say this. It's not a movie that I would seek out. It's not from a genre that I'm typically watching films from. Um, I'm not like a typical, I want to say cinephile, like, you know, in terms of you guys, you guys take the cake. I, I can't compete Dale and, and Nathan and, uh, you know, Aaron, even to the extent, Alicia, I'm sure you do too. Um, I'm a big blockbuster <laughs> film guy. Dale knows me. I like stupid movies, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying this for what it was worth. Um, and, uh, I definitely had, first I was like, am I watching the prequel to the Florida project? Um, <laughs> that's kind of what I, <laughs> I was like feeling a little bit of that's fair. Um, and then I was like, man, uh, Joe's giving me some hard um, Bryce Dallas Howard vibes from um, uh, from Rocket Man. <laughs> nice. Um, I was like, oh shit, does she have? Does she have? Jo- or not? Uh, what, um, fucking what's his name? Um, not Lennon. Um, Elton John. Elton John. <laughs> Elton John. Thank you. Um, I'm getting excited over I here. Know. I was making I was making connections that weren't there uh, the entire <laughs> movie. Uh, so it was a different experience for me. Nonetheless, I really appreciate what you guys were saying about a lot of the stuff from the film and, and the information about it, like the awards. I didn't know that it had won a lot of those kind of awards and stuff. Um, but I thought it was very telling of the time period. And I thought the acting was really, really well done. And the cinematography was really well done. Um, you know, it's it, for movies like that, it, tell, it, it takes me a while to get invested in them a little bit more. Um, and not that it's black and white or that it's from a different era. I think it's just because it, it uh, like the pacing was good. But it, in terms of where we live with now f- films, like we have such high expectations of like action or like momentum or whatever it is. And, you know, this is a different era. This is a totally different style of filmmaking. So I really appreciated that. Um, and I, I was surprised at certain points, uh, with some of the reactions, like she would be hysterical at one point and then laughing at another point And then, you know, like, uh, depressed at another point. Like she would, like, she would just turn on these, like, like when they go, like when Joe and the friend go out to the, um, to the, like the, the, the side of the country and they're like on top of a hill and he's like, let me kiss you because I've never kissed a girl yeah. before. And she's like, she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then, like, they kiss. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. And she's like, let's run over here now. And it's like, it's like this whole and the music, it's like upbeat and it's not supposed to be. Well, there's there's this extra subtext in that scene. Uh, but, yeah, I know what you're talking about, how her her yeah. mood kind of shifts on a dime like that. Um, yeah, and it's not just with the friend; it's with the with the guy too who, who gets her pregnant. It's the same, and her mom. I mean, like it's kind of you know she has that personality. Yeah, well, there. I mean, there. There's all those scenes with the uh, with uh, Jimmy, who's the the sailor that gets her pregnant, um, where she seems to be kind of blowing him off, and he says, you know, like, won't you kiss me goodbye? She says, you know, I will. You know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he asks her like two questions like that in a row, uh, like you know, uh, will I see you tomorrow? Like you know, you will. So it's like she she's giving off like the weirdest signals ever. Like what she's saying <laughs> does not match her body language or you know, yeah, how she's been talking to him the whole time. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, you can follow me wherever you want. You want to follow me again tomorrow? Yeah, okay, all right, let's do that. Yeah. And I think. 
that also kind of shows her age and her, I guess, a sense of innocence, so to speak, until she loses that innocence, so to speak. Um, but also that she's learning that from her mother because it's very much implied that her mother potentially is a call girl of some sort at the beginning with like, you know, gentlemen callers and whatnot. And uh, I loved the scene where they were at the bar and Joe was at the bar while her mother's singing and all these guys are drinking and singing and applauding. But like none of them are trying to pick up the clearly too young girl that's supposed to be there, which is good. Uh, but they w- let's talk about Peter for a second. Uh, Mr. Ask grabber mm-hmm. i mean he grabs all every the ass. asses yep every ass he can get his he's got one fake eye yep. he's an alcoholic and he's an ass grabber there's i mean there's, if that there's wasn't phyllis <laughs> the uh the secretary at the beginning oh, we have a tally of names okay yeah, yeah. There's, there's phyllis who is the secretary yeah. um certainly uh the mom gets grabbed uh and he also grabs jeff toward the end of the movie. Like yeah. as Jeff is walking into the door while they're waiting, <laughs> he grab he like pinches Jeff's butt and Jeff like flinches away from him. He's like, Oh, come on. It's just for fun. <laughs> yeah. He's just, I mean, just, just grabbing ass everywhere yeah. he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I had a question potentially about the effigy at the end of the thing that they burn. Mm-hmm. Like, was it a holiday? What's the point I didn't, of that? I was Anybody? wondering, yeah, if that was Guy Fox Day or something. There is one holiday that they do celebrate in the movie that I had to look up. Um, it's something like the Day of Wits or something like that. The it's, Wit Week Walk was Wit that Week parade Walk. That's that what they it was. had? The parade that they have in the middle of the movie, it's it's specific to Manchester, actually. Okay. Wasn't it something with uh, Lent or Pentecost or something? It was a Pentecost thing. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. It's a Catholic Pentecost thing, something about learning the scriptures and then going and Well, it wouldn't have been Catholic in England. It would have been... Yeah, it would Anglican. Have been, okay. okay, Anglican. Like Anglican but, Church. Yeah. I, I'll agree with Aaron, though. I was disappointed in the end. And I, and I think that's kind of the whole point of it. But, like... I was like, yeah, if she's going to be self-sustainable and uh, she's got her best friend there helping her out, like, let leave them alone. Let them do their things, you know? I mean, yeah, the whole the mother coming back and stuff was like a, a real letdown. And I mean, I'm guessing that was on purpose because there's, that's life, you know? That's what's going to happen. Well, the um, mother coming back. Having- so that's – there's that scene before where um, she find, she comes back – she comes to the house – she says she's going to give her money, you know, and start sending her money in the mail. And then she gets back into the car and the the ass grab guy, Peter, Peter, uh, perfect name. Uh, he uh, uh, is like, you know, yelling at her for whatever, for taking so long and he needs to get a drink and all that kind of stuff. And she says, you know, I'm going to get out right now. And he's like, cool, and opens the door. And she just kind of looks at him like, oh, you called my bluff. And so her showing up at the end is she doesn't have a place to live anymore. So she's coming to live with her daughter. And that's that's the real reason why she's there all of a sudden. Sure. But she's trying and to play it off like, you know, my mommy's here to help and take care of you. And it's like, yeah. no, you, you need a place to sleep and you knew your daughter wouldn't turn you away. Well, then the, the last scene of the movie, she, 
she goes out in search of Jeff, and he's already gone. But she runs into her mom with alcohol on her way back. Yeah. And so you just like, oh, and the cycle repeats. Yeah, Jeff watches the effigy burn for a few minutes, and then he walks away before uh, Joe can get out to him. What I also thought was interesting about the character of Joe was that uh, at least we don't see her drinking a whole lot yeah. uh, or smoking or like doing any of the typical like rebellious teen stuff. She is kind of just like a little bit of a weirdo in terms of like her personality, but like not in a, you know, obviously not like a bad way. I think it's a unique way. Um, and so like, I don't know, her, her, her character arc is very interesting to me, just that she's not like any typical character. We don't see her doing these things, but yet she falls into these tropes, you know, these first time pregnancy with the first time sexual encounter thing and, yeah. um, you know, trying to make it on her own and then having the mother, you know, do these things to her. And, um, you know, it, I thought it was, that that I really found fascinating in terms of how it was written as the character is. Yeah. Well, that segues well into me because I, I found her to be really interesting as a... Uh, a naive, uh, but very curious about the world character and somebody who, you know, particularly for the audience that would have been watching this movie at the time is, is saying the things and asking the questions that the audience would want asked in the movie. Um, and a couple of examples, um, there's the whole, uh, dealing with the fact that, the guy's black that she's flirting with and, and dating with. And she has this whole thing about like, you know, so, you know, were your parents from Africa or did you move here from Africa? And he's like, no, I'm from Liverpool. And she's like, well, you still got some jungle in you, don't you? And she's kind of playful and he just sort of brushes it off. Like whatever. Uh, and then uh, with the Jeff, she, like gives him this ultimatum like the first night that they go back to her house where it's like she has to tell him everything that they do that the gay people do and why they do it or he can't stay there and he's like well then i'm leaving and she's like no 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 it's all right you don't have to tell me that's fine you can stay and so it's just like she she's just genuinely curious and naive about how everything works and how things outside of her, you know, weird life on the run with her mom is. Um, and so we're constantly learning about the world around her through her, uh, because a lot of this is new to her or things that, you know, she's doing that are over her, over her head. So a question for everybody. What do you think's the fate of Joe? Do you think she becomes a woman like her mother who's dependent on the guy of the week and going to ride his coattails as long as possible? Do you think she tries to break away from mom at some point? Do you think she tries to make it on her own, goes to work in another shoe store or something? What do you think's going to happen with her? So my realistic answer, um, especially from having watched the Up series, which I've talked about on the podcast before, but it's it's worth talking about again and, and seeking out if you can find it. Um, the Up series is a documentary series that uh, studied a bunch of children in, I think it started in 1964. And every seven years, they go back and talk to them again and talk about 
what their lives are like and how they've progressed. The most recent, so the first one was called Seven Up because they were seven years old. And the most recent one was 63 Up. Um, they've kept it going. The director's still alive. Um, the guy that took over directing in the second uh, movie has done it ever since. So realistically, what would probably happen to Joe is that um, she will get pregnant by another man, marry that man, maybe have a second child with that man, but eventually divorce that man, and then end up in a third relationship that is never really more than what they call being partners in the UK. You know, they don't actually put marriage on it. They don't, they don't put the name on it, but. I think the phrase is put a ring on it. Just to yeah. <laughs> <make> that clear. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know about Beyonce in the, in the 70s and 80s, but okay. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that would be kind of where I would see that, that story realistically going. Yeah, I guess I would I would probably agree with Dale. I, I would hope that maybe, you know, she would try to break away at some point or like move to London or somewhere else. Um she, they're originally from Ireland, right? Didn't she say that? She's I- part Irish or They no, they they use Irish as sort of a descriptor for certain behavior. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's her and Jeff kind of being playful back and forth and he says something to her like uh do you like me more than you don't like me or do you not like me more than you do? And she's like, Oh, that's you being Irish again. Mm. So, okay. I just, yeah, I just must have misinterpreted it. So I was like, Oh, I guess that makes sense. She could be, I think it's Irish, like a but... wordplay thing. Whenever they do something with wordplay, yeah. they call it, they call it Irish. Ah, that makes sense. I've seen snatch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, w- I had, I had hopes cause I felt like she was such a explorator of, explorative excuse me um character that she uh would find a way to make the best of a situation and and succeed um but yeah i think with just like the times and the unfortunate circumstances of a lot of what was happening in industrial england in the seven sixty seventies 70s and 80s like yeah i kind of think it's pretty yeah i mean she's not going to get a job in 1961 with whatever education she has, you know, and, and they're certainly not going to pay her anything if she does get a job. And so that's why, like, you know, based on that documentary and based on a lot of things in real life, it's sort of the, the pattern seems to be, you know, you start dating a guy, he gets you pregnant, you use that pregnancy to, to bump it up into a marriage. And then you have some stability there for a while until that marriage falls apart. And then you're kind of back in the same situation again. Um, but, you know, for that So what's going to happen with the rest of us, Dale? Can you predict our future? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Based upon the documentary. I didn't see what... I, I, I haven't seen a documentary on, on people born in the, in the 70s and 80s um, that chronicles everything that's happened in their life. But I've lived through that. Um, and I know people that have had the same outcome that I predicted for Joe, uh, happen in their real lives. Um, Mm. I swear I didn't hit her. I did not. (laughs) It's bullshit. (laughs) Um, 
the guy that the guy that plays Jeff in the movie Murray Melvin um, is the only person from the original West End play that came back or that came in to do the movie. Um, when they did a Broadway version of the show in 1962, uh, the mother character was played by our our favorite cheesecake beautiful woman Angela Lansbury. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, so there's that. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, geek out for for just 15 or 20 seconds about the the Morrissey influences from this movie Um, lines that he paraphrased into song lyrics Uh, right away in the first scene where she says she hasn't uh, I haven't got clothes for one thing is why she's not going out to parties Um, that's paraphrased in this charming man. I would go out tonight, but I haven't got a stitch to wear. Uh, Dreamt of you last night, fell out of bed twice, is something that Jimmy says to Joe. Uh, And that's a line from uh, Reel Around the Fountain from the first Smiths album. I'll probably never see you again, is what Joe says to Jimmy right after, or right before they have sex. She's like, you know, this is all you want from me, and I'll probably never see you again, but that's all right, you know. It's still worth it. This is this is going to be fun. Um, that line is used in the in the first Smith single, "Hand in Glove." Uh, he repeats, "I'll probably never see you again" like twenty five times at the end of that song. And then the last one is "The dream's gone, but the baby's real enough," and that appears on a song on the last Smiths album called "Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me." So. Uh, he, Morrissey was a big fan of the uh, the playwright Sheila Delaney, who was the writer of the play and the uh, co screenwriter, and did a lot of stuff with her. And yeah, I will say there is a lot of great lines in the film in terms of just like one line yeah. lines. Um, and I, I feel like there's not a lot of filler dialogue. There's not a lot of exposition dialogue. Um, they're just like pretty direct and to the point and talk about what's happening right in the moment and say what they want to say. And so I can see why someone could be, take that as, you know, influence and utilize it in other pieces of art. So yeah, that stuff that happens before the, the opening credits, like the whole, you know, establishing her at school and, and them being on the run from the landlord. Those are things that like, they could have spent 20 minutes developing all of that. But they give you exactly what you need to know in in just the briefest amount of time possible. And you already feel like a whole bunch of plot has gone by before the those opening credits even come on. So it's I, I think they're really good. It's really it's really well done. The momentum of the movie is really good all the way through. Aaron, it is your it turn seems- to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch? Uh, I was trolling around on HBO Max the other day, and I saw a movie that I, I hadn't watched in quite some time, but it was it was pretty uh, interesting when I watched it. Uh, it's called Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, oh yeah, goody. Yeah. Well, they, they're, making new a, wave. they're making a series out of that, I think, pretty soon. Didn't we see a limited series or something? They did. They did one a couple years back with Natalie Dormer. Okay. Um, There's a Natalie Dormer version. Yeah, it came out series. in like 2018. It's a 10, 10 episode miniseries. Have you seen like that? that? I have not. Mm. I might have to watch that for the episode. I may have to watch that. 
<laughs> I, I kind of love Natalie Dormer. Thanks, everybody, for watching and discussing A Taste of Honey with me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Thank you.